my inner music geek nerd self was like yes you literally majored in music and performance I don't think I think calling yourself a music geek is like a little under understatement Mm, no it's accurate Hello, and welcome to Young Adult Adult Reviews, where two youngish adults review books meant for much younger adults. Or children. I'm Honor. And I'm Chloe. And today we are discussing The Clockwork Three by Matthew J. Kirby. And if you haven't read it yet, here's the spoiler warning. I do not believe we have any content warnings for today. So moving on to the summary. Giuseppe is a busker who has been stolen from his family in Italy who seeks to return home. Everything changes for him the day that he finds a green violin washed upon the shore, and he tries to use it to escape his padrone Stefano and get a boat ticket back home. Frederick is a clockmaker's apprentice who is eager to graduate to a journeyman so he can open his own shop. His project? An automaton man made entirely of clockwork. The only problem is that he needs to build a head. Meanwhile, he struggles with having no memories of his mother and seeks to remember who she was. Hannah is a maid who must work at a hotel for the wealthy to support her family after her father had a stroke. Once she begins to work for a mysterious guest by the name of Madame Pomeroy, she learns of an old guest's hidden treasure. She seeks it out in an attempt to mend her family's woes. These three children come together in an unlikely twist of fate, and through the power of friendship, music, and a healthy appreciation of nature, they learn how to put their faith in one another and accomplish their impossible goals as they converge around the epicenter of the head of the clockwork man. When all is said and done, they all get their happily ever afters, and though some of their past may never cross again, their hearts are forever changed for the better because of their adventures. Aww. Short and sweet. Chloe, how did you feel about this book? Honor, this was another one of my picks. So I'm going to be, <laughs> I'm just going to throw that out there. Children's books, Scholastic Book Fair vibes, very similar to last week, except I did not pick this book to impress my crush. I picked it because I don't know if you like ever went to a Scholastic Book Fair. I did. Uh, I went did. to a few. Yeah, they had <gasps> them like every year at my school. So, <laughs> I was okay, obsessed. That's exciting. That's exciting. Um, but did you know that they give out like a, a CD of trailers? I did not. They have a CD of book trailers. And sometimes yeah. if you're lucky, your librarian will play it for your class. I was not lucky. <laughs> <laughs> but this was from a year where the librarian played the CD trailer for my class. And I was like, holy shit. It looked really good. It was a really well-made book trailer. So I, I love it. this book. Love it. Touching story. Prose holds up as an adult. Pretty complex. If a little predictable, but all in all, like super fucking enjoyable, enjoyable read. I agree. I loved this book. It really held up for me, especially compared to last week's. Last week, I was like wanting more from the book. And this one, I felt just really fit into what it was like designed to be. It was designed to be a good children's book. I loved all of the characters. So each chapter rotates through each character. I really liked how all of those different perspectives and storylines kind of started to merge together and you could see all the different interactions that were happening through it without their knowledge. And then they all converged together into like one story towards the end. And it was just, it was beautifully done. It was very fitting for a children's book. I really loved it. It did fantastic. Yeah. One example of this is the hotel guest who has the treasure. His name is Mr. Stroop, but you don't learn that until like maybe chapter five or six. Mm-hmm. But chapter one, Giuseppe is hiding his violin at Mr. Stroop's grave. So you're like, oh, this is how it's all going to converge. And you can see how the characters will like interact and meet up with each other. 
And it's very funny because they have the scene towards the end where they're like, you guys know each other? And it's like, wait, no, you guys know each other? Because they really don't come together until like chapter 20. Yeah, it was like 19 or 20. It was pretty late. I want to say it was 19. Yeah, that sounds right. It takes a minute for them all to like come together. And when they do finally come together, they're like, I guess we all knew each other. We just didn't know we all knew each other anyway. Right? Because they had like passing interactions in the first couple of chapters where they didn't know who the other one was. And then from there until like chapter 19, they had a couple of like duo spots where they'd meet one of the characters, but not the other. And then they would meet the second one, but not with the first one. And then they converged all three on chapter 19. And they were like, wait, you know this person and you know that person and I know these people. (laughs) It was so funny. (laughs) It was very much like a moment where it was like, Frederick? Hannah? Hannah? Giuseppe? Don't be. <laughs> literally. It's like, I just wanted to be included. <laughs> okay, I wanted to talk about Mr. Stroop's grave, though, because he didn't even just hide it near, like, Mr. Stroop's grave or, like, by it. It was straight up in the grave. Yeah, he was like, this flagstone is loose. <laughs> I'm... <laughs> He pulled the flagstone out and there's this like giant hole and he goes, you know what? This will fit my newly found violin. He needed good a enough. hiding spot. It wasn't a good one though. It got found out. Because Pietro was spying on him, that little fucking rat. <laughs> Pietro is like this little busker boy who Giuseppe kind of takes under his wing. as like a mentorship, but then part of the mentorship is Pietro's not bringing in a lot of money. So Giuseppe kind of gives him some of his surplus income that he's getting from the green violin. But then he sees that Pietro's just fucking around and running on the beach. And he's like, fuck you, I'm not giving you any more money. And then Pietro betrays him and tells Stefano where he's hiding his money for the boat to Italy. So there's a lot of interesting points with that. My first point is really quick, so I'm going to make that, which is Pietro wouldn't have had to tell Stefano about Giuseppe's hiding spot if Pietro had gone to the place where they normally meet up. Giuseppe was right there ready to like hand over the money and be like, okay, look, I'm, I made a mistake yelling at you. Let's figure this out. And Pietro was like, bye. So that was just like an unfortunate turn of events because it didn't have to happen, but it did, which was very sad. Mm-hmm. Second of all, <laughs> Giuseppe was a terrible mentor because rather than actually helping Pietro like earn money and figure out how to earn money for himself, he just said, oh, well, if you don't earn enough, I'll give you the rest, which is not mm-hmm. a way to teach someone. It's a way to like keep them going, but it's not actually helpful in the long run. So that kind of was on Giuseppe for that one. Giuseppe was also 12. So that's, I... that's old enough to think of consequences. <laughs> I think Giuseppe because... did the best he could. No, because here's the thing. He wanted to keep the extra money he was giving to Pietro. Mm-hmm. So if Giuseppe had actually wanted to keep that money he could have found a way to teach Pietro how to earn money so that he could have kept the extra money he would have given Pietro but he didn't do that they were enslaved children (laughs) forced to play music I'm just giving my opinion bestie for a piece of moldy bread and a cup of curdled milk yeah that's gross yeah that was nasty (laughs) that was nasty and they were like fuck yeah milk and then they were like oh it's sour (laughs) Literally, how were these children not sick? Like, none of the children got sick. Immune system. Fucking <laughs> COVID would not exist with these children. That's all I'm saying. Are you kidding me, Bestie? These kids originated COVID, probably. Probably, actually. 
they just pass it along they don't get it they just pass it anyway we should stop i'm sorry i had another note on giuseppe (laughs) go for Uh, it i think that giuseppe was too damn kind for his own good because very much he totally was he grew up in this environment because he was brought to america at the age of six i think the book says and he's been living there for like six six or seven years so he's 12 or 13 and it's this very like rough environment where it's like you got to get the best street corner so you can bring home your money and get dinner and not get thrown in the rat cellar and he kind of rebels against that in spite of himself though so in one way there's like strength that he still has this moral center because we see what happens to the boys don't have a moral center they're like gonna kill a fucking priest it's so funny. It's like at the end of the book and like the, the final conflict is happening and Stefano has Giuseppe and the two of like his, his best boys are with him. And the reverend who is Giuseppe's friend at the church where he hid his violin. It's like, you guys would have the sense to not harm a man of God. And in his head, Giuseppe's like, yes, the fuck they would. <laughs> he was like, they like... will kill you. <laughs> but they had the interaction earlier where he like ran in with the one busker Paula was like falling in after him or was it the other one whatever it was one Ezio, of the two I don't, they're the same it, person. it might have been Ezio they're basically the same person they're basically the it was same. Paulo or Ezio that was following him in to the church and he walked in there he saw the reverend and the reverend was like I'll protect you we'll get him out and <laughs> and Giuseppe was like uh um actually I'm realizing that they're gonna just hurt you instead and this was a mistake so I'm gonna leave and the reverend was like you don't have to and Giuseppe's like no you don't understand I do no but he has like well die he has this complex understanding he has such empathy mm-hmm. i would argue that in terms of rating the character's empathy level frederick at the very fucking bottom oh seriously he's like got nothing giuseppe and hannah are probably neck and neck i would say in terms of empathy yeah. i would put hannah lower than giuseppe though would you Interesting. yes i would because- put her above when people make mistakes, Giuseppe is much more willing to forgive them mm. versus Hannah has to have like the evidence to forgive them. Like she's no, willing to forgive. Yeah. But she takes a minute to get there. <laughs> like with Madame Pomeroy, mm-hmm. the whole like seance thing with the two like villains per se of the story. Of her story, at least. Of her story. Yes, of her story. The uh, hotel managers. Had, yeah, the hotel managers had the seance with Madame Pomeroy and and they were like, oh, like Hannah's not useful to you, blah, 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 blah. Hannah was like, oh, Madame Pomeroy has betrayed me because she's helping out these two people that are going against me and trying to like kick me out and take the treasure that I want kind of thing. And here, but she never talked to Madame Pomeroy about that. So Madame Pomeroy has no clue mm-hmm. that this is a betrayal of some kind to Hannah, right? Mm-hmm. It's just a normal average seance day for her. Mm-hmm. And Hannah's like, how dare you? <laughs> Just a normal seance. <laughs> and he, I know. And even later, she admitted that she was like, oh, Madame Pomeroy didn't know that this was a betrayal. But because of that, I'm still not going to like go in and forgive her in person. And it was like, girl, because then she gets embarrassed. Well, yeah. Hannah is such an interesting character because she's very sweet and she's very so like. Sweet loyal and hardworking, but she has this anger festering inside her that she's reluctant to address and admit that it's there. And I think that really shows in how she holds a grudge and the actions that she takes. Because at one point she steals a necklace, a diamond necklace from Madame Pomeroy to try and pay for some medicine for her father. That is around the seance scene. She's like, whatever, I'll explain in the morning. And then she brings it to one of her friends at the hotel to try and sell. 
and he brings it right back to the management and they fire her mm-hmm. and she's like fuck and then she's mad at like everyone and everything she's like I hate my father for having a stroke I hate my sisters for always being hungry I hate my mother for being weak and she's like and I hate myself for letting myself get consumed by this yeah I think her anger stems from a lack of control of the things happening in her life she wants to be able to help her father and her mother and her siblings and the only thing she can do is give money to them and that's not directly solving the problem so I think that's where her anger comes from is because she can't fix these things that are causing her pain I would absolutely agree yeah and like if she thinks about it a little bit harder she's like I don't hate them I love them she comes back around like pretty quickly but like also in the scene with the archer museum where they finally steal the Magnus head for the clockwork man she gets mad at Frederick she's like what the fuck were you thinking? That was so reckless. You could have been caught. And then he's like, are you mad at me? And she's like, no. <laughs> Dude, that killed me though, because she's straight up yelling at him and being like, you shouldn't have done that. That was a terrible thing to do. Like, not only is she saying all those things, right? But she was the one who stole Madame Pomeroy's necklace, like literally a night ago or two nights ago. And literally. she was the one... <laughs> She was the one who took the golem piece from the museum too. Like she also stole that night. And she's like, how dare you do that? She stole that in a panic though, in her defense. She was like, oh, and then like put it in her pocket. But it still happened. And that is a hypocrite. Hannah's a little bit of a hypocrite, but I think it's okay. Cause again, she's also 12. She's like, I learned my lesson from the first time I did it. Why didn't you learn my lesson from me doing it? <laughs> She's like, stealing is bad, Frederick. And he's like, I'm just borrowing it. (laughs) It is freaking borrowing. That was so funny. Like the whole time, he's like trying to figure out how this clockwork head works, this automaton head. Mm -hmm. And he's like, oh, I'm just borrowing it. I'm going to give it back. Like, no worries. And then he starts like figuring out how it works and like putting it back together and then attaching it to his own like automaton body that he had hidden in the shop. And he's like, oh yeah, I'm going to give it back. Like, no worries. (laughs) Okay, but he whole ass restored it he did but he was mm-hmm. not going to give it back <laughs> he was not going to give it he back was... it was going to stay on his clockwork man everyone knew that everyone could see that they were all like yeah uh-huh you stole it <laughs> Giuseppe being like the head that you borrowed wink wink nudge nudge <laughs> I straight up had it in quotations he was like borrowed yeah Giuseppe was the funniest character not gonna lie oh, he's good he said street smarts equals sarcastic he said, he said, I'm a little street urchin. <laughs> what, is, what is it with street urchins being our funniest characters, though? In I think books? it's just the archetype of the street urchin character. Okay, who holds up better, Sage or Giuseppe? <laughs> I still vote Sage, but Giuseppe holds a good, like, he had a good run. Giuseppe wins out on not being fucking stupid. Yes. <laughs> and thinking about the consequences of his actions and also having a sense of self-preservation. Damn. But overall, overall, coming at Sage right now. Well, I'm not wrong. No, you're not. Giuseppe, I don't know, because it's very interesting because he he has this sense of self-preservation because there's that moment in Macaulay Park where he saves Hannah from the cougar and they like hang out with Alice for a little bit. And then Hannah's like, I have to go home and tell my family I got fired. And Giuseppe is like, should I follow her? And Alice was like, probably. And Giuseppe was like, if I go out there, I'll probably be killed. And Alice was like, but she does need you. And he's like, shit, you're right. (laughs) So his empathy is greater than his sense of self-preservation. And I give him points for that one. Exactly. 
Alice was so funny though. She's like, okay, you might die, but like she needs your help, so get over it. <laughs> Literally. <laughs> also, he's like, I, he's like, I guess I can go to Freddy's. Freddy's also, basement. Yes. Also, I loved that Hannah went through this entire struggle of like she was gonna go to Madame Palmer. Okay, so Hannah's father is sick. He's bedridden. And he gets a bed sore because his wife and Hannah's mother isn't turning him over enough and the bed sore gets infected. So the doctor comes, they say he's going to lose his leg. Hannah gets all upset. She's like, he's not going to lose his leg. We're going to get him medicine. But the medicine costs $20 and that's a lot of money. That's like a whole paycheck for her. So Hannah's like, okay, I'm going to go to Madame. She goes to get this loan from Madame Pomeroy. And that's when like the Russian protector of Russian bodyguard of Madame Pomeroy let her in. Yeah, Yakov won't let her in. And so Hannah goes and listens in and she hears about the seance and all of that and gets mad at Madame Pomeroy. So she steals the necklace, tries to sell it. That ends up backfiring on her. And she has all of these issues and ends up in Alice's house because she went to try and find the treasure of Mr. Stroop. And Alice just straight up for free gives her medicine to heal Hannah's father. And if Hannah had just like talked to people in her life about what was happening, it could have been solved so much faster and she would not have lost her job. And it was very unfortunate. <laughs> no, right. And it's like a tough lesson to learn, but I think it's a lesson that a lot of the characters in this book learn about because Frederick learns about it too, you know? Mm-hmm. Like, let me just to- say, one of the themes is capitalism is bad. <laughs> As, as we see by how willingly they help one another and how if it's the same someone's life, then it should be free kind of things, you know, mm-hmm. just just uh, socialism things, I guess. But Frederick also struggles with the lesson of like Trusting needing to people. just talk to people and trust them because his clockwork master, Master Branch, who is like teaching him all the stuff that he's learning in his apprenticeship, cares about him very deeply. And he literally has a scene where he's like, Frederick, I know you will never look at me as a father. And I'm like, first of all, kind of out of pocket. Like, are you sure you're not projecting there? Do you view him as a son? But, Frederick's uh, like, definitely won't happen. And then later <laughs> Frederick's like, well, maybe. Maybe. Daddy, sorry. Daddy, sorry. Daddy, sorry. He goes, you may not even view me as a friend, but I do hope that you will one day view me as someone that you can trust. And Frederick's like, not going to happen. Not going to happen. But then eventually one day he's like, Master Branch, I messed up. After the clockwork man like goes and saves Giuseppe and Pietro from getting kidnapped by Stefano. And then the clockwork man gets the shit beat out of him. And he's like, I can't repair this by myself. And the museum guy's knocking on the door. He's like, you stole my head. And Master Branch is like, fuck off. Master Branch is like, you searched already. You're going to need a warrant this time. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think Master Branch totally freaking knew the clockwork man was down there at the time. He was like, I'm not letting you in. I already know he messed up. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm not letting him go down easy. <laughs> right. I really liked Frederick's character arc in terms of just becoming who he was meant to be because we see him at the beginning of the story and he's very secretive about what he's doing. He's not, he's not even willing to tell Master Branch about the clockwork man. And he gets the pieces for it by like lying about things and stealing, stealing. And it's like, he could have just been honest and it might've still worked, but he didn't even 
try that, you know? And then we get to the point where Hannah starts asking him questions about his mother. And then he starts thinking about that. And he's like, I don't have time to think about that. So he just stays up working through the night. What? He said trauma, we don't know her. <laughs> no, literally he was like, he's like, I'm working on my clockwork, man. I don't have time for this. And Master Branch is like, um, you like haven't been sleeping well. And I think it's like, has to do with something about your mother and in his head, he's like, of course it doesn't have anything to do with my mother. I've been staying up late working on the clockwork man. And then he like has the epiphany where it's like, I've been working on the clockwork man because I don't want to think about my mother. Literally, you said, which is circle. <laughs> he said, oh no. But then he tries to like accomplish these things on his own. And like when it doesn't work, he sees how the people in his life kind of step up to compensate for what he can't give. And that's how he learns to trust. And I think that's really beautiful because it's like, they don't really give him the opportunity to say like, no, don't help, help me. They just kind of go and help him. And mm -hmm. it heals him a little bit because he had a rough upbringing in a sweatshop orphanage before he was rescued by Master Branch because he was good with machines. Okay, that but, story is so messed up, though. Oh, my God. But it really, really happened. There's, like, this This book is inc based incredibly in, like, real historical evidence. Oh, I know. Yeah, but I don't know. It takes place in New England, I think. So, like... Can we talk about how much Frederick is a simp, though? Oh, my God. It was such so a simp funny. for Hannah. It was so funny. He straight he was up, like... He was like, like her chemise. <laughs> <laughs> He was like, I don't care about her when he like met her on the street kind of thing. And he was like so rude to her. And then she starts coming to his shop every so often because the damn Pomeroy had like employed piece. Yeah, commissioned a clockwork piece and employed him and his master. And so Hannah kept coming to like check on the how things were going kind of thing. And he'd be like, Oh, I wanna like kind of talk to you a little longer. You wanna stay? <laughs> And then she and Madame Pomeroy invite him to the opera and he's straight up is like, okay, uh, 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 now I need to get like a whole new outfit because I don't look good enough. Mm -hmm. And he says it's for the opera, but we all know it was for Hannah. No, literally. Okay. But it was like kind of cute though. It they was were so cute. cute. But it's kind of so cute because he, he fell first and no, he, he, like, so saw her, he saw her on the street when he asked her for directions before he even knew who she was. And he was like, wow, her hair is like so long and pretty. <laughs> the way he described her she was gorgeous literally and it was so cute and she was just like she was like I help someone with directions the, the cutest part was when they finally got to the opera and he met them and he didn't look at her at first because he was talking to Madame Pomeroy and then she was like she was like oh what were you working on that made you late and he turned towards her and rather than like actually saying what was going on he just kind of like stared and like his jaw dropped and he was like you could just tell in his mind he was going holy shit <laughs> Okay, but it's so cute if you oh, like- it's my favorite scene. If you like Guy Falls First stories, Clockwork this Three, is, and Giuseppe's it. just like part of it. <laughs> they they made Giuseppe a little bit younger, I think, so that it wasn't as like- Yeah. Optional. Right. And also like Giuseppe was also always destined to leave. He was always destined mm -hmm. to go back to Italy. At the end, he goes back to Italy with Madame Pomeroy and she's like, you can take your green violin and we can play for kings and queens and eventually we'll land you home in Italy. Like, I promise. So and cute. he's like, okay. But then so it's like cute. sad because Giuseppe has this wonderful sentiment before he leaves them at the end. And it's like, if I saw these people again, I don't know if I would even recognize them because they are already so different than when I met them like a week ago. 
you know and I like teared up a little bit at that point because I thought that was very sweet it was a very sweet notion to have but I also think it's very true and it's like sad that he has to leave but you said that the last 10 pages of the book weren't loading on the pdf that you were reading on it so you probably I'm so didn't. annoyed I was like loading 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 and it wouldn't freaking do it and I was like damn it you probably didn't get to read the epilogue then no I did not okay in the epilogue I don't know how far it's set in the future but it's far enough that like Hannah has a new cottage with her family because she's offered the chief of maids position at the hotel after her enemy gets fired by the big hotel boss. Uh Um, uh She has like this cottage and Frederick is going to visit her and they're like courting each other and it's like kind of cute. And he's like, I made journeyman today. And Hannah's like, oh my God, you didn't tell me you were even testing. What did you make? And he like puts down this box on the table and it's this songbird that has different cards that you put in the neck and you wind it and it plays different songs depending. And one of the songs that it plays is the song that Giuseppe picked up from Frederick's mother in the hospital window. And so they always have that part of him with them, even if he's, even if they're never going to see him again. Stop. That's so cute. Right. And then like (gasps) music makes her dad like kind of break out of his apoplexy state for a little bit and he's like okay, I love that because that's like a real thing that's like music therapy stuff like mm-hmm. that actually happens and so they included that and I was like ah yes right. yeah no and music was so healing for him and I feel like that was a big part of Giuseppe's role because he he heals with his music wherever he goes and he has like this amazing gift and the green violin just kind of like reveals the gift that was already there you know yeah, he was like, oh, the violin is the magical thing in actuality was him. And I think the difference is it was because he stopped playing for like money, for like a need, and because he wanted to play and he wanted to enjoy the music. Mm-hmm. So instead of thinking, what am I going to get from playing? He was going, what can I give from playing? And that's what just made all the difference. Mm-hmm. Just so cool. That that was a good part of his character. My, my inner music self was like, yes! <laughs> You literally majored in music and performance. I think calling yourself a music geek is like a little under understatement. Mm, No. Like you, you have a degree in this honor. Do I? Um. You do have a degree. You graduate. (laughs) I thought that was very cute. I don't know. This book was just cute. It was so enjoyable. If you want to read this book, you will find this at any used bookstore I guarantee it I always see it whenever I go out and like love that book love Mm -hmm. that book but I have the cover without the stupid children on the front (laughs) I don't like the cover with the children on the front I like mine (laughs) okay so I'm gonna use that as a lead into the next thing so you talked about that first when we were discussing the audiobook because we discovered Spotify has two different versions of the audiobook available to listen to not two different versions but like two different the the same audiobook in two different like divisions like divisions correct yes okay I, I remember this now yeah yeah so it has two different divisions of the audiobook it's the same same audiobook just set up differently one has like 211 chapters the other has like 243 it was weird <laughs> same same amount, amount of book literally same amount of book same same reader what the fuck am I saying <laughs> <laughs> 
skip that part of this story because I don't know what I'm talking about. Okay. The point is you were talking about the cover of the audiobook and you were like, yeah, my book doesn't have stupid children on it. And I was like, oh, okay, <laughs> that's cool. The whole part of this story was not anything to do with that. I just wanted to talk about the audiobook um, because we both <laughs> listened to it some and we read the book some. So I wanted to get your opinion on the audiobook because I I loved it. I thought it was hilarious. The voice actor did phenomenal. I mean, it was like a theater show. Like every character had their own voice and accent and everybody had this like large personality to them. Madame Pomeroy was my favorite. That was hilarious. He oh like gave her this like deep gruff kind of a voice. It was, it was a womanly deep gruff voice. It was very it was... high and lilting. <laughs> yes, exactly. And you said you were like, oh, I don't think he's going to keep it up for the whole time he's reading this book. And then he did. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it was phenomenal. Every he made time. a choice and he stuck with it. No. OK, mm-hmm. if you also want to read this book free on Spotify, free on go Spotify. and listen to it because every single character has a different voice. This this man, I think it, his name was Mark Thompson, if I'm not mistaken, I'll the person up. who read it. But Giuseppe sounded like it anime protagonist and Hanny's voice was like very soft and Frederick was like I'm a nerd <laughs> and, then, and he had he had Irish accents and Russian accents and it was just like so exciting it was very exciting he said portfolio that book is a fucking voice actor portfolio and it was so enjoyable I didn't get to hear what he made the automaton sound like and I, I didn't either I read that back. part yeah, I might I have to I kind of want to go back just to listen to that because I can only imagine how good it is. Yeah, yeah it, it was... was Mark Thompson. He did a fantastic job. Uh, five out of five. Five out of five for Mark Thompson. <laughs> for Mark Thompson, five out of five. I was immersed. It sucked me in. I was having a, I was having a ball. Yeah, it was, it was good. It was long and the short of it. So you have read this book in the past, just yeah. like last week's. What did you think of it with the reread? It was enjoyable. Like, I don't, I don't know what else to say. Like, it totally holds up. The nostalgia goggles are there, you know? Like, I had a wonderful time reading it because it was, like, a little predictable, but it wasn't entirely predictable because, of course, like, Hannah's, like, seeking out the treasure and this whole time you think she's going to, like, find the treasure, but really she just has to talk to the boss of the hotel and he asks her a question. He's like, I have the money and basically I'm going to give you a choice right now. I will give you the money if you choose to let me have the park where she and Giuseppe stay for a hot second. And he's like, if you let me have the park for my industrial development, I will give you the money. But if you don't, I keep the money, the park stays, and I fulfill Mr. Stroop's dying wishes. And Hannah thinks about it and she's like, obviously keep the park. And that's what she tells him. And he's like, I like your answer. You know what? You're my new chief of maids. So she doesn't get the treasure, but she gets something better. And like, she didn't, well, get, she didn't get the treasure, but she got the treasure. She got the real magic of nature. The real. <laughs> no, but I did, I did kind of like that. Hannah was like, I'm going to get this treasure and I'm going to go back to school and I'm going to get to live the life that I've been missing out on. And like, the fact of the matter is she can't go back. And it's like, it hurts to fucking realize but this is kind of her life as long as her father is sick, who was one of the most talented stonemasons in the city. And I think that in choosing Macaulay Park, she's like, this is just 
how it has to be. And she kind of comes to peace at that with herself and her anger that kind of like boils beneath her surface 110% of the time. But I don't know. I really like how it resolves that because it's like some things will never be the same and you can't fix some things no matter how hard you try just because it's not it's not in the cards as it were. But. Do you want to hear my very funny guess that I had? What was your very funny guess? Give me your predictions. <laughs> okay. So so this is the one prediction I had that was incorrect. So the whole time Mr. Stroop's clue to finding the treasure is Macaulay is key. Mm-hmm. And the park is called Macaulay. So I was like, okay, so Macaulay Park, that makes sense. And then Giuseppe goes in there and he finds Alice. And Alice like lives there and she has a little garden there. And I was like, oh, maybe Alice is the key. <laughs> okay, I'm not going to lie. I thought that Wrong too. answer. Right? Especially after Hannah had gone and found the memorial stone her father had made and didn't find anything with the stone. Mm-hmm. I was like, oh, well, what else is in Macaulay Park? Alice. Mm-hmm. And none of them got that. And then it turned into a whole leaf thing. And I was like, what was the point of of the headstone okay (laughs) I think it was just a false lead I think it was I also think it was a false lead but I was like that's that's sad because that would have been very cute especially after Alice helped heal her father right okay some things were used missed opportunity just as like plot devices where it's like oh by the way don't worry about this anymore go worry about like the the overarching plot of the clockwork man you know yeah well, I think that comes along sometimes with like kids' books because you have to have that like magical and mystery element to it. Right. Mm-hmm. And so there were a lot of things that like wouldn't wouldn't maybe make sense in real life. For example, with the automaton, Hannah stuck the piece of golem clay that she had stolen from the museum into the chest of the automaton. Mm-hmm. And suddenly the automaton, the head could not function with the body before, was able to work. Mm-hmm. And like that's because she little... gave it a heart. Yeah, it was a magical, mystical element to it, to the story that pushed her along. And while, yes, it is believable in the magical mystery part of the story, it's not realistic. So I think that just comes along with the territory of children's books. Right. I did love the the golem piece because Hannah wouldn't have grabbed that if she hadn't worked for Madame Pomeroy because she calls Yakov her golem because she's mm-hmm. like, he's my protector. And she's like, oh, I know what this is. And she like picks it up and she's looking at it. And then like the museum guy's like, hey, and she's like, ah, and she puts it in her pocket and runs away with it and doesn't realize that she even has it. But I think that it's just such a wonderful set of fateful circumstances that lead their story to being possible. And I Mm -hmm. thought it was really beautiful. The tie-in with that that I thought was the beautiful part was she then sticks the piece of Gollum into into the automaton and the automaton kind of runs out confused and everything, but when they finally get back to the automaton, he starts going, how can I help your problems? How can I protect you? Mm-hmm. And so it ties back into the whole idea of the golem as the protector, and he was being the protector because he had the heart of a golem, and it was like, wait, that's so cool. Right? It was, a, it was such a neat tie-in to that idea. I thought it was really lovely. I would like to talk about the end of the book because it's like this this final confrontation in the old rock church with reverend gray being like held hostage stefano's there paulo and ezio are there giuseppe's there and they like lock the doors to the church and stefano's like i'm gonna fucking kill you and he almost fucking does he almost slits this kid's throat and it's like terrifying but then yakov comes in and as giuseppe's like getting choked out and he's like (gasps) and he's like the light is fading fucking yakov pulls out a gun and shoots stefano point blank (laughs) 
I was kind of shocked that they went there. I was like, what a fucking tonal shift. They <laughs> murdered a man. No, and like Giuseppe's like, he saw a hole in his head. I think it was kind of fitting though, because that was very much Yakov's duty. And mm-hmm. so once he found the people that he was going to protect, he was going to protect them, period. Mm-hmm. Right. Point blank, if you will. <laughs> no, and they kept making references earlier in the book to like, he was rifling around in his robes. Yeah, and I was like, oh, like, he has a gun it. and it's implied, but I didn't think he was actually going to have a gun or use it. <laughs> I didn't think he was actually going to use it, I should say. I like figured out he was like, implying that he has a gun. He was like, surprise, motherfucker. <laughs> and then I liked how it looked like a tiger. And because the whole thing is like, Madame Pomeroy was like the tiger lady. And they're like, oh, she travels with a tiger. And then she was like, now you know why they always say I travel with a tiger. And it's the gun. Surprise. Surprise. <laughs> it's a clever reinterpretation of words. Mm-hmm. I just enjoyed it. I don't know. I liked, I liked everything about this book. I thought it was very sweet. And it shows how the people who touch our lives, will be part of us forever kind of thing. And they'll, they'll always be like in our hearts, even if they're not with us in person. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I thought it was a beautiful book. They did a fantastic job. I loved it the whole way through. And I'm glad that I had a book like this when I was a kid. I don't know. I've kept, this is the very same copy that I bought at the Scholastic Book Fair in fucking, I don't know, 2009. I literally have no, a couple of those. It came out in 2010. So I think it must have been 2010. But I don't know. It's you it's, said first edition. First edition? No, like dead ass. I thought first edition, and I love I, it. I do think I like that cover better than the one with the children on it. Right. It's it's just it's the it's the same cover. It just doesn't yeah, have the just, children on it. They put children on the side facing in, but they only put two children there. I thought. No, there were three. Giuseppe's like at the bottom with his little busker cap. That's unfortunate. <laughs> right. He's short. Hannah and Frederick are like eye level, and Giuseppe's like down here. They said he's younger. <laughs> they said he is a child. <laughs> Figure it out. Okay, fun question. If you are a character in the book, which character would you want to be? I think I'd want to be Frederick, just because kind of kind of a sweet deal to be an apprentice, not gonna lie. And to be a clockwork apprentice, that's pretty fucking cool. Frederick's very smart. Cool. And I think I think I identified with him the most when I was a kid. I was like, oh yeah, Frederick's like the most important. He's like the clockwork guy, and clockwork's in the title. So I wanted to be like Frederick. What about you? <laughs> okay, I know who I would want to be, but also I, I absolutely don't want to be them. I would want to be Giuseppe just because he plays music, but also I don't want his life. Not at all. No, thank you. Oh yeah, he's, mm. his life sucked. Take it back. <laughs> exactly. So I'm going to go with Madame Pomeroy just because she's such a fun character and she's literally like, I'm going to do what I want because I can and it's enjoyable for me. She's like, I talk to spirits and I get money for it. I'm going to live it up. <laughs> She also just straight up collects children. She's like, you're cool and you're cool. You can work for me now. (laughs) I wonder, okay, I do wonder if there was like some character building going on behind the scenes that we weren't seeing and maybe it was just like a thing for the author as authors sometimes do. I wonder if she was unable to conceive or something because that's a, that's a good question. Because there's that scene with Hannah and she's like putting, she's getting her ready for the opera and she's like doing her hair and she's like, you don't need makeup. You're so beautiful. And like, she's crying. And I'm like, I'm wondering if she is like mourning for these children that she could never have. Or maybe she's just like never had the chance to. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I, she's a good mother figure and I love her. She's a wonderful mother figure. Because even after like Hannah betrayed her, she was like, I just want to understand why. Can you just tell me why? I'm not mm-hmm. mad at you. I just want to understand. Mm-hmm. 
she was like and constantly Hannah tells protecting her and she's like, Hannah. Thanks for telling me. Mm-hmm. She's uh, like constantly protecting Hannah and like she helped Frederick out and all that. It was it was good times. Mm-hmm. She just wants to give kids opportunities. She does. She's. <laughs> I loved like when she first met Hannah. She's like, even though you're in a lower status, you're still a person. Does that mean you can't have opinions? Like, you should have them. Right. And Hannah's like, I don't think this is allowed. <laughs> Hannah's like, Hannah's like, against the rigid social hierarchy? I don't think so. Madame Pomeroy was like, I'm rich. <laughs> Madame Pomeroy's like, if you're not going to do it willingly, I'll make you argue until you do. <laughs> right. And then she did the tarot reading and Hannah was like, hey. <laughs> Hannah's like, cut that shit out. <laughs> She's like, stop reading I- me. <laughs> She's like, I don't need to be told that I'm unhappy. I know it, but I'm not going to admit it. <laughs> She said, I don't know where you're getting this information, but I don't like it. (laughs) (laughs) Honor, do you think that this book impacted you? No. (laughs) A little bit, a little bit. Okay. So I think some of the views and understandings that they had of like the world, what they saw was very impactful. Mm -hmm. I don't think it's something that I would really think about much outside of the book itself. Mm-hmm. But it does make me think while reading the book. For sure. So yes, it's, Im- it's impactful during the reading, but it's not something I'm going to be in my everyday life and be like, wow, so that's how they thought of this. It's brilliant. <laughs> <laughs> well, I wasn't meaning it like that, but thank you oh, okay. for covering. You're welcome. How are not, you like, meaning live it? Live your life with the clockwork fucking three as your Bible. <laughs> Jesus Christ. No, it's the only no. way to do it. <laughs> go big or go home, bestie. Go find your hotel maid. Go to the opera with her. Build your songbird. Build your songbird. It's not that hard. <laughs> um, well, how are you meaning it? <laughs> I don't know. Just like, is this like a good book that you will think about from time to time? Think of fondly time to time. Yes. Okay. If, if I see this book out in the wild, you know, when I'm in bookstores and it just pops up, I'm going to be like, oh, I remember that. That was really good. You know? to think through the whole story and I might even think wow I should reread that and then I might even reread it so yeah impactful okay how about you bestie uh, well I think this book had its impact on me it's it's had its turn it's been on my fucking sh- do you know this book has survived so many shelf purges over the years and I think that enough like speaks to its impact I didn't remember everything that happened I remember there was a little Italian boy named Giuseppe I remember there were two other people and I remembered one of them was building a clockwork man with the head. And I remember the green violin and I kind of remembered the treasure. I, I remember the basic beats. I didn't remember exactly what happened, but like I thought back on it. I was like, this is a good book. I'm not getting rid of it. So I didn't. And I think that speaks enough for its impact on me. I think it does. That's good impact. And I, I think, definitely, I definitely yeah. think if I buy this book, it would stay for a long time on my shelves as well. That's good. Yeah, I just think that with as an adult, I think the lessons are just kind of like they're true. Mm-hmm. I'm like, yeah, like that's absolutely true. Like it's relevant like, through through anyone's lives, I think. Yeah, it's just like such a resonant message and like allow me to make allow me to make a metaphor here or a simile rather. Uh, what if I said no? <laughs> <laughs> anyway, like books, <laughs> like books getting discarded from a shelf. Like you kind of pick the friends that you hold on to. And even if like sometimes you have to let go of people, whether because of like circumstances in their life or circumstances in yours, or maybe just like something for both of you, they still impact your life and they touch you forever. 
a good friend is like a good book. And with that, I, let's I go to ratings. Okay. <laughs> Shall I go? Yeah, you go. What, what, okay. do you, what do you rate this book? I rate this book a solid four and a half stars out of five. I like that rating. It was very good. I thoroughly enjoyed it. I will say the audiobook gets a five out of five for me. Oh, for sure. I, like last little bit just was added in there. You can't, you got to hear it to understand, but it was, it was beautifully done. Masterful. The book itself had really great storylines. I loved how each character kind of intertwined through all of the different viewpoints and storylines and everything. I loved the overarching story. I did think like, like I talked about, there were a couple of spots where it seemed, well, you talked about, there were a couple of spots where it seemed to kind of just go, oh, that's not relevant anymore. Move on. It was just mm-hmm. a, it was just a plot device for us to get through. So Is that's that where, where it lost of, points? Yeah, it's where it kind of lost some points for me. Otherwise, fantastic. I, I enjoyed it. I would recommend it, honestly, to anyone who reads children's books. I would especially recommend it to children. I'd say ages, what, seven, eight up? Easily, yeah. Easily. I mean, it's not, yeah. it's not too hard to understand. It's a complex story, but it's like pretty simple. But the language is a little advanced. I don't know. I yeah, feel like that's why I'd say seven or eight. Happening. I would also recommend it to people that enjoyed the invention of Hugo Cray because Admaton, same kind of storyline, children searching for things. You know, it's it's got a lot of the same features. So I feel like if you liked the one, you'll like this as well. Yeah. How would you rate it, Bestie? I would probably rate this also a 4.5 out of 5. 4.5, 4.75. Again, nice. losing points just because of like the kind of red herrings that it throws at you in the story. I feel like I noticed on the cover of the audiobook we were listening to, it said the unabridged version, which implies that there's an abridged version. And I'm like, I can see why they would need an abridged version kind of thing. Not that like I, I didn't enjoy any part of this book. It was just like, I can see how this would be like a little long for the target audience, especially. Overall, thoroughly enjoyed. Would recommend to adults looking for a little nostalgic perspective or children looking to just kind of like learn what it means to, to trust other people, you know, you mm-hmm. know. I would also recommend this to people in the film industry because why the fuck isn't this a movie yet? It seems like it should be a movie, don't you think? I feel like it has the vibes for it, yes. It has the vibes for like, or like a TV show even? Mm, I'd say movie. I can see it as a TV show, actually. I feel like there's not, well, if it's like a short TV show. Yeah, like like six episodes of a series. Yeah, six to ten episodes kind of thing. Mm -hmm. Depending if you do an hour longer, like 30 minute kind of thing. I think you could tell I the story in six hours on the screen. Yes. But, but that's I think it also sense. fit a movie just, just as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But I think it'd be good. Anyway, mm-hmm. I'll get back to my contacts in the film major. Uh, <laughs> I'll, I'll talk to Izzy about it. And we'll <laughs> Not see her being you guys mentioned twice. <laughs> twice in the pod. She's going to be like a recurring character. <laughs> <laughs> None of you know her, but she's here. She's here in our hearts and our souls. <laughs> anyway, we have to get to the outro time. All right. Thank you for listening. We upload our episodes bi-weekly. That is once every other week, not twice a week. That is too much reading if we did it twice a week. I could not do it. Facts. We also have other social media platforms, including Instagram, TikTok, and YouTube. You can follow us at Young Adult Adult Reviews on each site we also exciting news just created a goodreads account so that is also young adult adult reviews so check us out we're going to be posting reviews of the books we have read on the podcast and we will be posting 
reviews of books we read on the side. Yeah. So give us a follow and a like on any of our socials. We'd really appreciate it. Drop any suggestions that you have for us for books. We may read them. We may not. It depends on our time. They'll probably go on a list at the very least, though. It will. will, Yeah, it'll always go on the list. It just depends when we get to it. For sure. We Uh, have lives, people. Yeah, I work at Chipotle. It's like a whole career. Anyway, uh, (laughs) thank you for watching or listening listening thank you for listening thank you uh as always we really appreciate you for making it this far through our antics and as always that's a wrap that was beautiful i'm pretty sure it's the no dust jacket no dust jacket Mm, that's a lesson for you fuck you